0: Welcome back to another edition of Covered in Glory. Too much to our listeners' chagrin and my co hosts, I have not been seized yet and made myself to be forfeited to a, uh, a foreign government. So the show has to continue against everybody else's wishes. What do you think, Brett? You think I should be locked up right now?
1: No, no. I just think that everybody should be happy that even though this is an audio medium, I do have lights on this week. So I'm not relying well, on natural I- sunlight to illuminate my screen. <laughs>
0: Well, you said you were going to bet your entire
1: utility bill on Harry Kane scoring, and he came through twice. My boy came through. My boy came through. I Mike. said this was the bet that was going to get my lights back on, and voila, lights are back on. So let's go ask and yeah. ask and ye shall receive what an amazing
0: weekend in uh, the Premier League. I mean, we saw so much great action and so much movement at the top and the bottom of the table. That was one of my favorite weekends of the year to watch.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I won. I started winning again. So I'm, I'm cool. That. I don't really give a shit about anything else. I got some bets right after a long skid. So I'm I'm feeling good now.
0: That's right. Both of us were profitable last weekend. You hit, uh, I mean, we usually cover this at the bottom of the show, but let's do some bragging right at the top. Four of your five uh, pints hit last week. Three of my five pints hit. You had a couple of plus monies in there. So you're up slightly on me, but both of us were profitable to start the month of March.
1: I just, I can't keep losing to you, man. It's just, it crushes my soul. I mean, I need wins. Uh, I need wins.
0: Well, the the listeners can't see it right now, but I'm drinking your beer as we speak.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a big week. This is a big weekend here coming up for us. I got, I got a couple of, uh, I got a couple of safe, and I'm, I'm using air quotes here again on an audio medium. Couple of safe picks coming up at the end, just to try to make sure that I can just hang in there and try to get a fucking win, so you don't win again this month. <sighs>
0: <laughs> well, let's see what happens because you got a slight lead, but uh, I've seen you go cold really fast. So oh. I still like my odds for the month. I'm a, I'm a
1: roller coaster baby. You just you just strap on and just figure it out if you're going up or down.
0: All right. Well, speaking of roller coasters, let's jump right into this weekend's action with the number one roller coaster in the entire league right now, Tottenham Hotspur who are at Manchester United. Manchester United is 5th at 47 points. Tottenham is 7th at 45 points. This game is 12.30 p.m. on Saturday. United is plus 115. The draw is plus 250. The Spurs are plus 245. United, minus half a goal, stays at plus 115. And then the Spurs, to get at least one point out of it, move to minus 130. So the Spurs obviously continued their up and down form with a giant up performance against uh, relegation-bound Everton on Monday in a 5-0 drubbing. You texted me afterwards that uh, Frank Lampard might not be the championship manager of the year next year because he might not make it to the end of this season. (laughs) You still feeling really bad about your boy?
1: (laughs) I mean, technically he's your boy. Um, But no, I mean, it it was brutal last week. Um, I, I think, you know, it's one of those things where when you have a team like Everton that's clearly sliding and you have an up and down team like Spurs, you, you always kind of gravitate towards Everton are really bad, but, and they were like, don't get me wrong. There were, and Donnie Van there was clearly a reason he was not playing at Manchester United. Um, but Spurs were also like really good. Like we're we're starting to see that that front three with Kuliszewski now joining son and Kane, They're exciting. Like, it's a a really exciting attacking trio. We're kidding back to last year's Harry Kane, where it was goals and assists, you know, playing beautiful balls through, breaking Sun in behind the defense. Um, You know, we've kind of talked about how Sun, in a lot of ways, he's not necessarily getting to, quote-unquote, wash status, but he's becoming more of a poacher. You know, the guy that's running in, the, the furthest attacking player ahead. And it really fucked Everton up last week. And I also think that when you watch last week's game for United and we saw city completely overload that left side, like Aaron Juan Basaka side, the right side of the United defense and they tore them apart. They combined on the left side and then it was De Bruyne sitting alone one-on-one with the great Harry Maguire, you know, coming on at the end of a ball and just putting it in the back of a net and that left side is where son is going to be this upcoming weekend. So even though United are favored, I'm going with your boy, Conte. I'm money lining the Spurs. I think that, that, that attacking wow. trio. I just think that I, I think this is a stupid analysis and we might talk about this a little bit. Cause I know you and I have opinions on Bruno Fernandez. I just think Spurs are better players at this point. Like, I, I mean, do you?
0: Well, I mean, I saw a lot of what you saw when the United game last week. They continued to struggle against big opponents. They got run off the pitch 4 1 against City, and it really wasn't even that close. And Bruno Fernandez, I mean, he keeps finding himself under the microscope because it's another poor performance. And so I I think I, I mean, first of all, I'm taking the Spurs uh, minus 130 to get at least a point. So you're one step beyond me and taking them at plus 245. But both of us are on the same page that we would not take United in this game because uh, the Spurs, I think, are equally matched and on better form. And uh, they certainly have the managerial advantage. So I, I like that as the bet. But I do, as you mentioned, want to talk a little bit more about Fernandez. I mean, it's not that United is without talent. Like, whenever the odds shift too far the other way, I always take United and point out just how talented they are. And if it gets close to a coin flip, I always think their talent's going to win. Uh, but Fernandez, I mean, he was a revelation for them. When he was acquired midseason two years ago, he's been one of their best players ever since, but he's struggling so heavy right now. And like last time we started talking about a star and called him somewhat wash. Then Sun came out firing goal (laughs) after goal to uh, that's just like a
1: thing for me, though. I shit on somebody and then they immediately have the best performances of career. So anytime I trash talk somebody, just be prepared to bet for them and do good things.
0: Well, let's do cousin Sal and his uh, beloved Manchester United a favor here. Let's talk about Fernandez and let's talk about form. All right, so uh, I, for a guy, for for so let me okay. set you up for a yeah. guy like for a guy like Fernandez at a top six club. Like if you if you have a star at a you know bottom of the table team you're never benching them because you have no alternative to them, even on their worst day. But the thing that makes top six teams so powerful is the depth and quality and competition for uh, positions. And so even a guy who's been a bright shining light for you for two years, when he's on this
1: battle form, how much
0: rope do they get at a top six club in your opinion?
1: I mean, it's tough because I think, I think what we, we saw a lot of last year with Bruno I, I kind of, it's one of those things where penalties fuck up our perception of a player's success. I think a lot. Right. And so when you look with Fernandez last year, like he had 18 goals, he had 12 assists, but of those 18 goals, nine of them were pens. So we've seen that get stripped away, right? Because there's a bigger star, right? Like they're at a big club. you are talking about big club star players, all that kind of shit. Like Ben Ronaldo comes and he's taking pens and he's taking that source of goals. And I think part of the reason why, in my opinion, some of the glossy veneer around Fernandez has been stripped away this year with United is like, he's just not as scoring as many goals. You don't look at the raw numbers and people, you know, I think our human beings brains are weird, right? Like we see the gaudy go numbers, you know, 30 goal involvements last year. And we're like, Oh, this guy's a star. Like he's clearly built for Manchester United, but in all reality, I don't think he's a guy that's above being rotated out at this point, you know, especially depending wow. on the match, especially depending on the opponent. Um, and a big reason that I kind of look at that is I, I've heard this before, and I'm probably stealing somebody else's thought. I'd be curious to get your take on it, like maybe a cross-sport comparison somewhere. But Fernandez to me is not a ceiling raiser. He's a floor raiser. He's a team that makes like an average team good. He's not a player that makes a good team great in my opinion. And a lot of it is because of the way that he plays. Like he hits a bunch of home run balls. He mostly acts as like a second striker, not really like a link up guy that like receives passes in dangerous areas or makes a ton where he's moving the ball, like forward a ton. Um, especially with dribbling at his feet, it's mostly like he's just playing these long passes. And that to me is not like how a good team, like we see really good teams play. Chelsea is up there on their good days. City and Liverpool, those teams dominate possession. They don't give the ball away cheaply. They have players that are super creative at creating chances, and they mostly maximize and tilt the field. And Fernandez is not really like a guy that does that, which is why I don't think he's like above reproach at this point. And I don't know if you Mm. can think of a cross-port comparison, but there are lots of players that exist. I know in basketball, we talk about this all the time, that they, they raise the floor. But then once a team gets to a certain point, they kind of become a liability. and I kind of feel like that's where we're at with United in this chase for fourth.
0: Yeah, and like a really high profile, you'd be talking about like a game managing quarterback, like historically like a yeah. Flacco or a Trent Differ that won you a Super Bowl, or like a Ryan Tannehill in today's game that uh, Derrick Henry is going to be the driver of your offense. But Tannehill's you know enough to gives you competent enough play to keep defenses honest and you know raises your floor as you said. I think basketball probably has the better comparison for what you're saying. Like the guy who could be the third best player on a championship team and not the star of a championship team. I mean. Uh, I, he's, I actually love him, so I don't want to diminish him. The guy who comes to mind is like Chris Middleton on last year's bucks. Like if Middleton's your best guy. You're not winning the championship, but when you got Drew holiday playing the way he was and Giannis playing the way he was and Middleton playing the way he was, then, you know, that becomes a championship team, uh, and takes them from, from good to great. Uh, so it's somebody in that vein, like the the fourth, third uh, banana on a championship team that raises your floor, but or could like make you to the playoffs if he was your best player, but definitely is not winning you a title.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that's the thing that United really has to look hard at right now. Um, you know, especially the podcast contract situation, especially because they have Sancho and Rashford and some younger talent that's coming up. Um, you know, they have to make decisions on Ronaldo. They're going to have some money to spend in the transfer market. You know, if Bruno is kind of a a vacuum in terms of like, he needs to do certain things, but those things that he does well, don't always fit a team taking a leap. You have to really reassess maybe, maybe not necessarily how much he plays, but like where you play him, what you ask him to do, how you build a team around him. Like, he's just not a guy that like a De Bruyne, where you just throw him out there and he just does good shit all the time. it doesn't matter the system. It doesn't matter the team it doesn't matter where they're at like de bruyne is a great player you put him in any system you can put him in a lot of roles and he's going to help your your, your club win and you can build around him and i think what we're seeing this year especially like i said with that kind of like rose colored thing of he scored so many goals last year that were propped up by penalties which as we talk about all the time penalties are very fluky there's no direct correlation with like players being really good at him. Like you can maybe make a case that Jamie Vardy like, is the type of guy that's really good at like just drawing penalties, but it, for the most part, they're random. So a lot of Fernandez's goal generation last year was random. Like it was just, he was the guy that was the penalty taker. You know, if they would have made Rashford the penalty taker, who knows, right? Like maybe he has 30 goal involvements last year. Right. And we're looking at Rashford totally different right now than we are currently. So I don't know. He's an intriguing player. I don't think he's like a bad player. But I do wonder where a player like him fits on a top four side. Like, that's what I I, I see. And with, with yeah. the, you know, going against Spurs, Kane, Son, you know, Kuliszewski, there's a clear dynamic of what those guys do and how they piece together. And that's why I think they're generally a better team and they fit together well. Um, and with Fernandez and United, you just don't have that same feeling, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I let me clean up one thing real quick, because I do think Middleton's a great player. Not that anybody's judging me on a soccer podcast on my NBA takes. (laughs) Actually, what we're talking more is a little bit like Brad Beal, like I'm on my Wizards team who, yeah, yeah, he can get you in the play in game. But if he was on Philly right now, and he was a third best player, they could be title contenders. So uh, it would be mean to compare Fernandez to Westbrook because I don't think he's as washed as Westbrook he needs to be on the bench right now <laughs> for the Lakers. I won't, I won't be that mean. Uh, all right, so let's talk about our props. And his name's come out of your mouth a couple of times. Uh, just watching the Spurs, I just continued to be enamored with Kuliszewski. Um Kuliszewski. I think I got it right the you second time. It oh, yeah. was closer.
1: I mean, or we're uh, both getting it wrong. Either we're both getting it right or we're both getting it wrong. <laughs> There's no gray area at this point. <laughs>
0: So Manchester United is really not showing much defensive organization right now, and they never will as long as Harry Maguire continues to be in the back. I mean, he's one of my least favorite players in the entire league for a reason. Uh, and, and Kuliszewski, he just keeps finding himself in dangerous spaces. And without the strong organization, those spaces are going to be abundant. And he's going to be able to slip into them. Uh, so I love him to get at least one shot on target. Uh, on the match on Saturday and you're only paying -130 one, for that. So whether it goes in or not is almost immaterial. I think he's going to find the space. I think he's going to cut inside or he's going to play a nice 1-2 with either Kane or Son and he's going to get one on frame and uh, you're that bet's going to cash.
1: Yeah, I'm actually going to go with the uh, opposite side. I'm going to take the Spurs winger on the other side. We talked a little bit about Son um who's now basically Spurs most advanced attacker. Um and I, I think with the way the United have been a little more aggressive pressing with your boy Harry Maguire, who was not good in space, um, and which is the fact that they struggled where, down. Where is he good? Where is he good? Tell me where he's good. I, I'll I mean, wait for tall. the answer offline. He's <laughs> tall. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think in general, we kind of saw City completely pick apart United's right side of their defense last week. And I don't see how that's going to stop. So I don't think it's great, great value, but I think Spurs are going to score. And I think in open play, Sun is the most likely player to score. So at plus 185, I think, like I said, it's not great value, but I think that's like the best prop, goal scoring prop out there. And I, I love the goal scoring props, So I'm going with that.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, in a similar vein, the, another player who's really shining in Conte's system right now recently is Matt Doherty. And he's plus 185 to get a shot on target. So that's if you want to play, yeah, you want to play out on, on the width and uh, get a little bit more of an odds than Kulishevsky's getting. I think Doherty's an excellent um, bet to get in, get one on target, and cash that ticket as well. Love it. Love it. All all right. Uh, Let's move away from the marquee match of the week and through the rest of the rundown. So the next uh, game we're going to talk about is Brighton versus Liverpool. Brighton is 13th at 33 points. Liverpool is second at 63 points. This is the lunchtime game in England, which makes it bright and early for us here in the States. 7.30 a.m. on Saturday. Brighton is plus 550. The draw is plus 370. Liverpool is minus 205. Liverpool uh, on the spread at minus a goal and a half moves all the way up to plus 150. Brighton is minus 175. So uh, Brighton has lost the last four and gave up at least two goals in each game. Now, before that bad run of form, they kept within one goal for 10 of the 11 games before that. So, you know, the trends can cut either way, which is one reason I think Liverpool on the spread is getting such uh, a high number. Uh, so I think the current form is actually more reflective of where they are at as a squad. And Poole continues to just kind of be dominant. And they really have uh, their eyes on the title race now. I think they think they can compete in this thing and drag City back. And I don't see them letting off the gas whatsoever. So while Brighton's previous track record uh, from their, the 11 games before their recent run of form, I think it's giving Liverpool a boost to not to blow them out. And so I'm going to take that plus plus one fifty all day long. That pool's going to win by at least two goals.
1: I mean, I, yeah, I, (laughs) I think Brighton, Brighton's attack is like truly, I'm trying to not be mean, but it's just pathetic to me at this point. And the weird thing is, I think a big part of that is actually because of the defender that they lost. Um, and we've looked at this weird thing as soccer is a super dynamic sport. You have 11 guys on each side and one player in the grand scheme of things like doesn't have the impact, obviously that a one player in basketball does. Right. Um, but like Ben White, who went to Arsenal and now you're seeing Arsenal have this really together, coherent defensive structure all of a sudden without adding like some amazing defensive midfielder, like they're still playing fucking Granite Chaka. So it's not like, you know, your arsenal is, you know, brought like Wilfred and Didi in or something. Um, but white was like really crucial because he paired with Adam Webster at Brighton to move the ball up the pitch, win it back and then keep the ball, keep possession in the attacking third and without him, their defense has been worse and, and not only just like straight up, have they given up more expected goals this year per 90 than they did last year, but I also think it's contributed to their attack. And I just can't see Brighton scoring against Liverpool and Liverpool's on a good day. And so for you to pick the two goals, we know what Liverpool's attack is like, it's ridiculous. They, they can rotate players. It doesn't fucking matter. They're going to throw out three attackers that are unbelievable. Trent Alexander Arnold is awesome. Like I think the one and a half, I'm going to be in, parking my money in the same spot there. But then the other thing is that clean sheet is somehow plus 175 for clean sheet win for Liverpool against, yep. I, like I said, a truly pathetic attacking Brighton team. And I like Grant Potter. I think he's a good manager at Brighton, but there's something weird and broken about this Brighton team. And I think Liverpool is going to just show you the huge gap between how good they are and how mediocre a mid table Premier League team is at this point. Yeah,
0: I mean, every time I look at a Liverpool game, I look at the same two things. Uh, First, I just look at the odds. It's clean sheet win, a good team to do a good thing. (laughs) They definitely qualify as that. But the other is uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold assists. And Trent Alexander-Arnold assists is only plus 175 now. He had won last game, but he's been kept off the sheet in the previous five, so the odds have been overly inflated given his reputation versus his uh, performance, which is a real shame because earlier in the season it was one of my favorite bets, along with Arsenal under corners. Uh, So now i got to dig a little bit deeper to find something worth backing other than the clean sheet win. So what I'm going with here is solid to score first or last at plus 160. Uh, Mm -hmm. I obviously think Liverpool are going to get at least two goals in this game, And this is a a way to get way better odds than his anytime goal scoring odds versus minus 110. So I think they are going to really struggle with Salah's pace. And he's been quiet for the last few games after scoring four and three. And I think he's going to find his way onto the score sheet. So if I get plus 160 versus the minus 110, and all I have to worry about is Brighton getting a last second, like, you know, uh, pity goal or Salah scoring the middle goal in a three or four goal Liverpool route, I'm going to. Take my chances at the enhanced odds and get the plus 160 over the minus 110.
1: I like it. I mean, especially because I I really think that last year's Brighton team had a chance to maybe control the game a little bit more. But I really think like this year's version of Brighton against what Liverpool is doing right now, it's just they're about to get run over. It just feels like they're just about to get run over right now. So solid goals in a game where they're about to get run over seem like a good bet.
0: All right, uh, let's see if we can find a couple more good bets right after this quick break. All right, welcome back, everybody. And the next game we're going to talk about is Chelsea versus Newcastle. Chelsea is third at 56 points and Newcastle is 14th at 31 points. This game is 10 a.m. on Sunday. Chelsea minus three uh, to win is minus 310. The draw is plus 450. Newcastle is plus 900. On the spread, Chelsea minus a goal and a half is plus 100. And Newcastle is minus 115. So a uh, two-goal margin of victory for Chelsea is pretty close to an even bet on either side. So, Newcastle have won six of the last seven to leave the relegation zone firmly in the rear view. It happens to coincide with them opening up their wallets in January, and the results sheets now look like the top eight team they're going to be this time next year. And this match is a class between two teams with questionable ownership heading in opposite directions due to government intervention. And if I could get close to even money for one of the teams, especially the one ascending to not get blown out by a team, having the strangest spell of any team off the pitch in the history of the premier league, I'm going to take it. So I'm going to back Newcastle minus minus one fifteen, and I'm just going to hope the British government doesn't seize my winnings.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of look at this Chelsea situation and, you know, again, I'm, I'm not, we're not in the locker room. We don't know what Tugel's saying, what the players are saying to each other. But in a lot of ways, you know, they're, they're, they're far removed. Like, they have a job to do. They're players. Tugel's a coach, a manager. And whatever's going on around them, sometimes they, it has a weird way of galvanizing a locker room. And they were good again today. I mean, the scoreline was a little bit flattering against Norwich. Norwich sucks. But this is another day with the news breaking today that they could have capitulated. They could have easily fucked up a result against Norwich away. Like, it, it could have happened but they hung three on them. They tra- They created chances. Um, and I I know we, I don't want to like go negative on Chelsea here. I'm trying to stay positive. I like the Lukaku list looks that he throws out there. I like it when Werner plays. I like it when Pulisic plays. I like it when Havertz and Mount are out there. The combination of three out of those four is to me the best version of a Chelsea attack. And when, if he c- continues to roll with that, I just think they're going to be incredibly tough to beat. And part of it is like what kind of if you if anybody watched the midweek stuff with PSG against Real Madrid, which I fucking hope you didn't because God was out a pathetic match. But you know, PSG rolls out three big time attackers, right? You got Mbappe, you got Neymar, you got Messi. But none of those guys defend without the ball. And you can't have the ball every minute of every match. And part of the reason why I think Chelsea is so good with the attacking trio that doesn't include Lukaku is those, every player that I've mentioned, that's not Rom is really good in some way, shape or form out of possession, whether it's pressuring the ball or actually winning it back. That's a huge thing. And I think if they continue to roll at this, I can't trust Newcastle. They're playing Ryan Frazier's, is like somehow becoming their leading goal scorer, Joel Linton, starting every match. Like, they have a Willow Shelby midfield and somehow this is working. Like I'm looking at the results. I have their XG table up right now and they're actually, you know, their underlying numbers look good, but I look at the fucking lineup and I'm like, how is this happening? There's no way this should work. So I, I'm going to trust Chelsea. Tuchel's my guy. I, I like what he's doing. I, I love the fact it may not be good for Chelsea long-term with Lukaku's relationship with them, um, but I'm, I can't, put money on Newcastle. Something just seems like the bottom is going to fall out at some point. This team is not as good as these results are. The play individual players aren't anyhow. has never like been a manager that has been a guy that's like cloppy in, in, terms of how he can elevate a team's performance. So I'm taking Chelsea at minus 1.5 and minus one Oh five. And I'm going to take one of those attackers that I really like. Havertz had four shots today. He's generally been looking really dangerous. He's a threat on set pieces as well. And this is a game where Chelsea's going to tilt the field. So plus 165 for Havertz is an anytime goal scorer. I really like it. I think this is a perfect match for him to float, find space, end up getting on the end of a ball and put it at the back of the net.
0: Yeah. I mean, the galvanizing thing that you talk about is, a, is really interesting. It's like, it feels weird to compare the world champions to the movie major league. But when he gives that speech about how everybody's against them and the owner uh, has been trying to tank the team and nobody wants them to win, and if they do, they're all going to be gone and laid out of there. And the only response he gives, is said, well, there's only one thing left to do. Let's win the whole fucking thing. Yeah. So I think there is an element of this in, in Chelsea's team, despite everything that's going on off the pitch. Um, I mean, they're still the hardest team to score against in all of Europe by, by both stats and the eye test, as I, I watch different games. Um, in a knockout tournament, they're an absolute, you know, terror. And I don't think they can, obviously, I don't think they could catch city or pool, but if you want to play a major league scenario, watching them repeat as champions league uh, title winners by coming together in the face of all this adversity, I don't know. I mean, Hollywood might reject it as a little bit too far fetched, but it's not a ticket I'd mind holding right now in terms of this game. Uh, I agree with every single thing you're saying about the um, the attack, you know, watching the, the play without Lukaku is bringing all the feeling back to me about what I watched them do last year. Uh, they're just so fluid the movement of Havertz and Mount and Pooley and Werner uh, combined with the passing of Ziyech and Rhys James, when he could stay on the field, it's just, it's kind of a joy to watch. And while it's not going to lead to like Liverpool or city five, six O trouncings, I, th- it's a nightmare to defend for 90 minutes. And I just find them in the right position over and over again. And then it's just a matter of finishing. And uh, you know, as as long as they've got their finishing boots tied up, I like them to get one one goal, two goals every single match because it's no longer, I think, I think, you know, like Bill Simmons used to call some of the NBA offices the clogged toilet offense. When the ball <laughs> didn't move, it just went to one guy. There was no spacing, there was too many people in the lane, which prevented driving. There wasn't anybody in the corner to allow for threes. And it would just be like throw it to one guy, watch him in isolation, clang into somebody, and hope a goal, and you know, hope the ball goes in the hoop every once in a while. That's kind of what watching with Lukaku has been for the last couple of months. And watching him off the field is suddenly, you know, Warriors-esque ball movement. Everybody getting around, finding the space and playing really beautiful uh, football. So I love Uh, Romelu Lukaku, but watching them without him and watching that movement from the other players in the front and seeing them generate that attack uh, has me hopeful that goals are going to pour in. I mean, I don't know if Newcastle's going to get one or not. They very well could because Chelsea does have a little bit of a habit of switching off. They even gave up one to Norwich on a silly penalty today. So all that's to say, I'm taking over 2.5 goals as my prop and minus 145.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting the way that you articulated that. I guess I never really thought about it that way. You know, I'm here in my spreadsheet with numbers and stuff. But it is just generally more aesthetically pleasing when there is no Lukaku there. I, I like how you the way that you kind of mentioned, like it was like ISO ball in the NBA era. I, I agree. Like it, it really, I never really kind of like paired it together in my brain, but when I watched them with rum, it was just really stagnant and it just wasn't fun. It wasn't enjoyable. And like, even though Chelsea last year was winning cause they were suffocating teams and winning one, nothing like there was a, an enjoyment of actually watching them play last year. And I think it was the, because of the fact, like you said, it's like this, it's a, it's a change from 2000 era, throw the ball into Shaq to like 2016 Warriors when the two, when the, when Rom's off the pitch and there is something about that too, where like, you don't necessarily have to, from an enjoyment stat, standpoint, see three, four five goals from Chelsea to really appreciate the way that the non Lukaku players all come in and play together. And it's just, I don't know why it like took you saying that to like have that epiphany, but you're right. Like it's just, it's generally more enjoyable to watch these guys cutting and making runs and playing one twos instead of just Rom standing at the top of the box, like waiting for someone to play the ball into his feet and then trying to turn and get a shot or play somebody in.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see what sleeping in a hostel does to them when they have to play in Europe, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I am trying to keep sport and politics separate this week after going on my rant last week. So those who think I don't want to address the situation, I would say that's unfair. But after I kind of uh, pressed my limit last week, I'm going to take a week off from giving my reaction. But who knows if Boris Johnson's playing striker for us next week, then I might have some opinions and I might not be able to hold them back anymore. So getting over to Arsenal uh, versus Leicester city, Arsenal is fourth at 48 points versus Leicester city. Who's in 12th at 33 points. This game is 12.30 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. Arsenal is minus 200. The draw is plus 360. Leicester is plus 500. Arsenal minus 1.5 is plus 145. Leicester is minus 165. Leicester's been on a pretty decent run of form, uh, winning their last four matches. And Arsenal's rolling as well. But I think excellent finishing in that last game really pumped up their goal total. And I don't see them blowing Lester off the pitch. So it's really heavy juice to pay, but Lester staying within a goal feels like the best bet on the board to me. So I'm going to take them plus one and a half goals and minus minus one sixty five.
1: Yeah, I dude, Lester is so weird, man. (laughs) Um, I don't think they're good. And, you know, last week against Leeds and my boy, Jesse Marsh, um, Know they it was another, it was like a classic Leicester game from this year, they were completely outplayed even before the goal. Um, so it wasn't like one of those things where they score early and then Leeds piled on a bunch of chances. Like it was pretty amazing that Leeds didn't score, yeah. I think the XG overall, like Leeds had like two or 1.9 expected goals, and um, Leicester had 0.5, so it was a very clear win for Leeds. It just luck didn't go their way, and that's kind of how Leicester has been this year, and it's really like kind of the slide that they've been in really the last like 18 months. And it's just hard for me to trust them. Um, And as weird as Arsenal have been, I have slowly gravitated towards the fact that I think they're good. (laughs) I I know they're going to finish fourth. What a weird thing to say. The team that's finishing fourth in the Premier League is good. Uh, Super analysis, Brett. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I do generally think I trust um, Arsenal to get a result here. I'm not sure how it's going to look, but I just don't see at home against a Leicester team that has just been so underwhelming to me that Leicester is going to be able to really like keep it super close. I I could see them capitulating. I could see this being a draw. Like this one seems a little bit all over the board, but I don't want to ever put money on (laughs) Leicester, is basically the point. And so for me, I would, I'm going to kind of pay up a little to just take Arsenal at minus 0.5 at minus minus one ninety three. I know it's not great juice, but like, I trust them to win. I don't know what the scoreline is going to look like. Could be one Oh, could be three, two, could be four, two, um, could be three Oh. Um, but I, I feel more confident if I'm going to put money on the spread to put it on Arsenal. And, you know, with that in mind, um, I don't really see this, you know, Arsenal gave up over an expected goal to, to Watford of all teams um, in the last match. And so I think to me, both teams are going to probably end up scoring. Leicester does have attacking talent. They got Jamie Vardy, they got Harvey Barnes, they got Ian Nacho. you know, Uri Tillmans is a really good attacking middle midfielder, Madison, you know, there, there's talent there in the attacking third for Leicester to get a goal. And Arsenal has been better defensively, but they're not airtight. So the, the prop bet I liked is actually probably one of my favorite bets of the week. And that's Arsenal to win, but both teams to score plus 195. Because I definitely see this being a 2-1, 3-2 kind of game. I don't see this being something where Arsenal scores and sh- sets up shop and shuts down Leicester. And Leicester is definitely not getting a shout out unless it's a complete fucking fluke. So I kind of like that. It's, a, it's actually probably one of my favorite bets. It will be in my 5 point pickup.
0: <laughs> well, this is super fun. We're on the opposite sides of stuff this week. Because uh, my prop is under 2.5 goals plus 130. Uh, the way I view this, I mean, we already talk about Arsenal ugly up games and, and winning that way, and I think that trend kind of continues. Although I will say, gosh, I hate admitting this. Uh, <laughs> I, said, I said in a show earlier this season that, like, Arsenal just don't have guys that I, I like watching historically um, or currently. And just watching Saka last week, I was, I, was, I was leaning forward. I was getting excited every time he touched it. I thought he was electric, and obviously he's young and continuing to develop. So besides just the keeper, Ramsdale, they might have a guy that I actually like watching. Don't tell anybody oh, this isn't being recorded. <laughs> uh, but in, in this particular game, uh, I really don't like either team, unlike you. I don't like either team to get to three goals. And so if I don't like either team to get to three goals, then it's just 2-1 and 2-2 I have to sweat out. So I love getting plus money at plus 130 for what I feel are six of the seven most likely score lines that the game's going to end
1: at. So we're going head-to-head on this one, and we'll see what Arsenal does for us. Yeah, and, and again, uh, you know, this is kind of a match. This is like an anything-can-happen match to me. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if this was 0-0, or if this is five four, or if Leicester scored like four goals and 0.5 xg, like it just seems like a lot of things are at play. But I definitely could see a window where your bet hits, just because these teams are not like they're not juggernauts, you know? They're they're not great teams. Like Arsenal is good, and Leicester is like a mid table team, so variance is very well at play. So there are a range of scorelines that hit your bet. I don't I don't know which one's going to turn out. I guess we'll find out over the weekend, but. I I can see why we're on complete odds because I could just see the range of outcomes in this game being all over the fucking board. Yeah.
0: And and this is one of my core betting philosophies. If the variance is that high, take the one that has a plus next to it. Uh, So I'm getting plus 130 on six different score lines. And I think they're all highly likely. So, I mean, I'm not going to hit that every time, but I think I'm going to hit it often enough to be profitable in my portfolio. For sure. Uh, All right, last game to talk about, and this one is at 4 p.m. on Monday with the time change. We're finally getting happy hour games, Brett. It's awesome. It's glorious. (laughs) Uh, So Crystal Palace is 11th at 33 points, and they are playing Manchester City, who, of course, is first at 69 points. Crystal Palace is plus 850. The draw is plus 450. Man City is minus 310. Manchester City minus a goal and a half is minus 105 and Crystal Palace is also minus 105. So they are calling it an outright coin flip for Manchester City to run away with this one. Uh, interestingly, Crystal Palace beat City in the reverse fixture in October, which I think a lot of us have forgotten because it's the game that caused City to go scores to earth and ran off 12 straight victories after that to break away from the pack and seemingly walk the league until Liverpool started to uh, crawl back a little bit. But, you know, recently Crystal Palace has had a real hard time hanging with the top teams, even though they found themselves solidly in the middle of the table thanks to their ability to produce results against everyone else. In their last 12 games versus non-top seven teams, which is the big six in West Ham this year, they have seven wins and five draws, so points every single match, which is why they find themselves far away from relegation, solidly in the middle of the table. At that same time period, though, they lost all five games they played versus those same top seven teams. Um, I see no reason that should change against the best team in the world. And so then it's just a matter of how much Manchester City wins by. City strikes me as a team that needs to invent challenges to keep themselves sharp during such a sustained run of dominance year after year after year. So I think they'll be seeking a bit of payback. And if I can improve my odds by 200 points to take them by to win by at least two instead of one, it's just too enticing to pass up. So give me Manchester City minus a goal and a half. Also, give me over 1.5 times. Zhao Cancelo takes my breath away in this game. That scissor kick volley <laughs> against Manchester City actually made me yelp out loud. I mean, what a freaking player.
1: Yeah, man. You know, I thought Aaron Ramsdale was getting the most love on this pod, but really it's it, Jao is Jao is overtaking the love. I mean, Connor Gallagher, Lord and Savior. Yeah, we get all that. But Cancelo has stolen your heart. He really has um he is and he's awesome i mean he really is though so, like he has been um one of the most unexpectedly awesome players to emerge in the premier league here as far as total enjoyment of watching him play at least once a match you, he does something makes plays some kind of ball or makes some kind of play where you're like what the fuck like it's <laughs> it's just it's, it's so impressive and i think part of that is like with city the way that they've Created a role for him to be so involved in the attacking third. You just don't get fullbacks other than Trent Alexander Arnold or Reese James when he plays in a back three that can basically sit and live in the attacking third. And I think that's part of the reason why it's really hard for me to see in this reverse fixture Palace hanging in again because there's just too many weapons. Like Kinsella's sitting in the attacking third, De Bruyne is back, Phil Foden is you know, one of the most electric young stars in the ma- in the game. And we barely talk about him because he's surrounded by so much talent at city. You know, they're going to rotate guys in and you can see Sterling or Mares or whoever, they're going to come back on into the fold and starting 11. So it's just, it's impossible for me to ever bet against city. You know, Grealish came back and looked really good in the Manchester Derby. Like the, it's, it's embarrassing how many talented, good players they have playing for the best manager in the world. So as much as, I'm not super thrilled about it. i got to take the spread at minus 1.5 and minus 105. I think that's the play. It's impossible to bet against city for me. And then somehow, some way city, one of the most dominant defensive teams in the world is getting plus money for a clean sheet win. Like the only two, the only two, the only two teams that have produced more than one expected goals, basically in the last month or or, in the new year, have been Southampton and Spurs. Southampton has been weirdly good against City because they have this aggressive, coordinated press of Haas and Hoodle. It's kind of fucked them up. I haven't figured it out, but it's been weird for them. Palace don't do that. Palace also don't have Harry Kane, son and our new boy, Um, So they, they can't rely on this, uh, you know, attacking trio that, can turn a turnover into an opponent third touch within one pass. Like Spurs can. And without those two things, it's hard to see Palace scoring, you know? So the fact that you're getting plus money and, you, and we know city is heavily favored to win. And then it looks like palace is heavily favored to not score. It just seems like one of the most egregious lines of the week at plus 105 for a clean sheet win. So I have definitely. to admit,
0: I, I wrote that one down as well. And It's off mic It's what I'm going to bet. But I decided that the world has been crazy enough this week that I'm just here for the fun this week. That's what I'm here for. I'm here for fun. So rather than taking the clean sheet win, which I agree is the best bet on the board, uh, I'm taking Manchester City over 2.5 goals as a team. Uh, you get plus 120 for that. I just want to see goals, goals, goals galore out of them specifically. And if they win 1-0 or 2-0, your bet's going to cash. But I am rooting for them just to attack, attack, attack
1: and really pour it on in this game. Well, I mean, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I mean, really uh, any any bet for City with plus money is probably a good bet because it's pretty much the best team in the world than Liverpool. So, yeah, and By- well, I guess in Byron too. But yeah, I'm with it. Uh, thank you for you know at least having mixing it up and not letting me be the boring guy that just continues to pull out clean sheet bets. <laughs> well, I mean, the sad thing
0: is, is like I already know what your five pint. I don't. Uh, you didn't give 100%. it to me ahead of time. I'm just hearing you 100%. talk to me. I already know what, what's going to yeah. be on it. And like I, I yeah. like your bets better than my bets, but. You know, let's get him on the board and see how it turns out. So uh, wrapping up the show, we'll give our 5 pint pickoff. We said at the beginning we both are profitable for March. Uh, Brett hit four of his five units last week. I hit three of my five. Uh, Let's see if we can do it again. I am betting heavily on the title race this week that it's just going to hold serve and that both teams are going to put on dominant performances. Uh, So I'm taking a parlay of Manchester City and Liverpool, both just to win. I'm getting minus 103 on that, which is crazy to me that I'm not paying more juice uh, for both of them to get wins this week. And then I'm taking both of them on the spread. So Liverpool minus a goal and a half is plus 150. Manchester City minus a goal and a half is the minus 105. I'm putting a pint on both of those. And then we're going to have a little bit of fun with uh, Kulishevsky. One shot on target, minus 130. I feel good enough about that bet to uh, make it over the clean sheet wins of the two juggernauts. And then I'm taking Arsenal and Leicester under 2.5 goals, minus 130 directly in your face.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm just spreading it out this week. I don't really have any parlays, but I got one. It's I'm going to be boring, man. I got one of the clean sheet win for Liverpool. I'm going to trust a good team. We do a good thing. You're getting plus 175. And I just have a very low opinion of Brighton's attack, which means I look forward to Neil Malpey scoring in the 89th minute and fucking that up. Um, And then the other one I'm trusting Chelsea. I just, I like the fact that Tuchel has been riding those front three. I think there might be a weird galvanizing effect with everything going on off the pitch for the actual team itself. Um, So I'm going to put a point down on them at minus 1.5 at minus one Oh five, because I just don't fucking trust Newcastle. I I don't care what their fucking results look like. I look at that starting eleven and I just don't understand it. One of the great mysteries in the universe. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, I'm taking Arsenal to win and both the score plus one ninety five in the Leicester game. Um, and then, of course, clean sheet win Manchester City. Rest of my pints are going there plus one hundred five. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that's happened. I don't. Something the lines are. Somebody who modeled that line needs to fucking explain, call us up and fucking explain that one. But plus money for shitty city to shut out a team. Maybe they're weirdly worse away from the Eddie had than we think, but I mean, they're a fucking juggernaut. They're going to probably dominate that game. I like palace as a team, just not against city parking. The rest of my points points there.
0: Yeah. I like your, I like your bets quite a bit this week. I like mine as well. So Uh, If you're out there listening right now and you're tempted to fade or follow us, I would follow us this week. But that probably means that we're destined for a bunch of zero-zero draws all across the board. Who knows in this topsy-turvy world? Uh, All right. So let's see what happens on the pitch this week. And let's see what happens off the pitch to uh, to see if Chelsea is allowed to continue on existing as a club. Yeehaw, I will say. One thing I will say. Obviously, I, I wish what happened to Chelsea didn't happen, and today's been a, a crazy day. But it was almost all worth it for one comment that I saw. I think it was on Reddit when uh, people were kind of talking back and forth about the the sanctions that happened today. My favorite comment that I saw was, if they're going to take away everything Chelsea owns, then watch out, Spurs, because we've owned you for 30 years. <laughs> Almost made the whole thing worth it. Great, great line from that random internet uh, troll. (laughs)
1: Shout out to random internet
0: trolls. (laughs) Shout out to random internet trolls. Uh, All right, guys. uh, Best of luck to everyone this week. Let's continue to pray for some sanity and civility to return to the world. And thoughts are obviously continue to be with the people of the Ukraine as – as they try to just survive this uh, insane period of human history. So that's what matters the most, but we managed to stay off that topic. All but the last conclusion, still want to to talk about it at the very end. Let's enjoy the sport to take our mind off of it uh, in the meantime. So enjoy the games. Look forward to being back with you guys next week when we'll be here with our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. See you next week.
1: Take care, y'all.